everyone. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. Hey guys, how's everybody doing this week? I have been exhausted from election coverage, so I'm so excited to be here with you guys, spending some time chilling and talking about something that I'm really excited about. I am drinking coffee uh, because I work later today. (laughs) I have been, I mean, work life has been crazy, personal life has been crazy. I just bought a house, so that was- Oh my god! I feel like I'm an adult, but today, to celebrate all that, I actually am making myself a ratchet mimosa, so I used used Smirnoff ice as the orange juice. (laughs) We're going in. Okay, love it. Wow, that's very, that's a creative take on a mimosa. I love that. That is a boozy mimosa. Um, I, like Lana, I'm drinking a mimosa as well, but I just have plain old orange juice and some cheap champagne that I bought last night for like $4. (laughs) Um, and yeah, I mean, as far as my life update goes, things are also kind of crazy on my front, just with work and keeping my ass inside to not catch COVID. Um, but other than that, we are healthy, we're alive, we're thriving, so can't complain too much, I guess. Love that for us. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this topic, I am super excited to talk about. It's something I'm super passionate about. My degree from Mizzou is actually in international journalism. And um, that means that I spent a lot of my course time learning not only about journalism, but media and how it kind of circulates in our global community and how people are affected or how people can join in with one another to experience similar things by being part of that global community. Um, the first time I understood the power of telling stories to a global audience is when I was in a com- with a company in Spain uh, studying abroad and they were a photography documentary company called Ruido Photo. And they would tell these amazing stories about like the human journey of kind of trying to get from where you are to where you're going and getting away from violence or getting away from things in your own country that you really need to get away from in order to have a better life. So stories can do so much for us. And I think in a global scale, it's even more apparent. Yeah, I definitely think each of us has some form of global experience when it comes to journalism. I know for myself, that was um, kind of varying roles for me. Three summers ago, I worked in a newsroom in Italy and that was super rewarding. I loved every bit of that experience. But I also have worked in with global audiences here in the States as well. Um, during my time at the J School, I actually worked on a show called Global Journalist. And that show had varying audience from all over the world. And we also talked about topics that were not you know, domestic. So it was really a good way to tap into global issues. Absolutely. I think out of the three of us, I probably have the least like international perspective. I've only like left the country once. <laughs> I'm kind of a bit of a homebody. But um, at the job that I'm at now, it's a very kind of global and widespread company. So I'm always working with teams and departments from a bunch of different countries, which has been really cool to learn how to like put our workflows together and also when we're packaging certain pieces of content figure out how are we going to do that to reach an international audience and I think that this whole episode is really going to focus on the fact that 
in our careers, in our position, we're able to produce things that can really bring people together in a way that, you know, you might have never thought was possible. Yes, definitely. And I think that's one of the really powerful things about global journalism is our ability to interact with each other in new ways. And before social media, it wasn't so easy, right? Like we heard about people through like the newspaper or whatever, but now it's so much easier for us to see the day by day that other people are experiencing. Um, We make friends across the world. We can maintain those relationships now. And some people have a have great friends across the world that they talk to every day. It just really depends on what, I mean, how you interact and what you're doing. Um, This is definitely something that we've discussed before, but the digital revolution caused like an across the board change in how we interact with people, especially with our global audiences, which has been so cool. And it really means that we can take the time to get to know each other on such a personal basis, just like how people meet on the internet all the time and become friends. Like this is just a way for us to expand our own personal experiences by talking to people or looking at people or seeing their what they're doing on such a widespread and in-your-face scale almost. Um, And it's expanded into our newsrooms. It's expanded into our perceived communities and the way we interact with international causes for sure. Yeah, I think that this summer was a very big platform, a very big stance, you know, of showcasing how far a social movement can reach. Um, After the death of George Floyd within the U.S., there was many people looking at their own nations and asking for better and looking for resolve and calling out to the U.S. to do better, even though it's not technically, you know, their country and people, you know, may not think that they have any stake in that conversation. That showed that there is a lot more um, community in these conversations than really just the people that we think are directly affected. And this is this isn't new either. There's been plenty of times that media and, you know, social media has been able to bring us to the forefront of situations and just really giving us a global perspective. When I remember when um, the horrible incident that happened with Malala Yousafzai and, you know, we demanded better and we raised money and raised awareness back in like 2012 when Kony took over the internet. I think that that's like the first kind of moment that I remember vividly being in seventh or eighth grade and seeing my friends on Facebook like mobilize against Coney and you know the outcome of that we don't even we won't even get into it but I think the fact that it was able just kind of take over the internet is honestly amazing it is so wild because I also vividly remember that and I was like so into the cause of like no coney and then like you know the fallout like but i remember I was my friend's it. parents would buy the t-shirts and stuff and oh I yeah it was, was so a thing. it was a <laughs> thing these are definitely instances that we have changed the way we interact with global news and it's just like extreme situations that draw us in obviously we don't want it to be that way we don't want the harsh situations to be the ones that bring a global community together but it shows a group of people coming together to say we're all human regardless of where we're from we want to be a part of a movement or a change if possible to make sure that everybody is treated fairly and well and many times now in major news corporations we have hubs and newsrooms and journalists on the ground in different countries all over the world and reagan can attest to that i mean the company she worked for has has offices everywhere and it's just 
because if you're going to be part of a firsthand reliable access to global news, you have to have people who are on the ground who are experiencing the everyday life. Otherwise, it's just a novelty thing. And I, I, I just want to jump in and say that even from my reporter days, you know, being back in Missouri, I think even though those aren't necessarily international stories, that um, those those rural stories and that more rural audience is a different world than, you know, reporting in New York City or Chicago. And unless you're actually there getting to know those, you know, small towns, the people that are there and understanding the context for all these stories and these headlines that you're putting out, you're never really going to be able to get the point across. You're never really going to be able to establish that connection. And that's 100% going to impact the way that your stories come across and are told. 100%. I mean, it's so important to understand. To tell a story, you need to understand the community. And it doesn't matter where that is. It doesn't matter if it's in your own backyard. It doesn't matter if it's in your same state. It doesn't matter if it's in a different state. You have to understand a community in order to tell a well-rounded story. And I think that that's something that Mizzou also really nailed in was like, if you're going to tell this story, you're going to go out there, you're going to meet the people, you're going to get a feel for the town you're in. And it's just, it's so important to do that. Yeah. And I definitely think that it's really important that Emily kind of noted that it's these major news corporations or people who are able to have the resources to send people abroad to establish these hubs or create these offices abroad. Because when it comes down to it, many news offices are actually starting to, from the 1950s when we look, decrease the number of journalists that they're sending abroad or the amount of news stations that they're establishing abroad. And a very big part of this is that barrier to access that has come out of the digital revolution and our ability to connect with people so much quicker than we ever could before. But at what cost to journalism? Absolutely, Alana. I'm very excited to kind of dig into all of the aspects that come with, you know, breaking down this digital barrier. And a huge part of that, of course, is the implementation of citizen journalism. Um, there are definitely a lot of pros, but there are also some cons that we're going to talk about later. And basically, for people who haven't heard of that term or are unsure of what that is, citizen journalism is basically just people posting their firsthand accounts of certain situations or events happening in real time, posting them onto social media for everyone to see. So instead of you know a journalist being there to take pictures of, let's say, a fire happening, if your neighbor sees it and takes a picture and is disseminating it online, that right there is citizen journalism. Yeah, and I want to definitely know it's not only, you know, photography stuff as well. There definitely is also, I'll see on Twitter, like threads, like thread of this event and my, you know, thing. And it's just somebody going through like their account of whatever happened. But it's also something that as journalists, we need to make sure that we're being very careful with how we engage. I think it's a very powerful tool and the ability to connect with somebody instantly that says that they were a part of this event or a part of whatever's going on, especially if they have, you know, that proof or that photograph that kind of gives that validity to them. It's really enticing for us as journalists, especially because all of us know, like, to get a source sometimes can be one of the hardest parts of the story. So if you find that golden thing, you just latch on. But we need to make sure that we're not just saying, okay, they're presenting this and that's what I'm also going to present. What more are you doing? What are you adding to that story? What have you taken and what have you verified? What have you grown? What, what have you done? Because the people on social media have already seen this. They've already been given this. You as a journalist are supposed to give them more, not just regurgitate what you have seen. And it's actually this whole 
thing is actually something that newsrooms and organizations have had to grow to learn with. Like now it's a lot, it's not about telling stories from information and being able to gather, you know, all of these different things for ourselves. It's about social listening. It's about getting into the community and learning what they want to learn, but that maybe only a news organization has the resources to make available. Um, it also provided a unique opportunity to collaborate with citizen journalists and maybe that means, you know, sometimes taking something that somebody said on the internet and debunking it and making sure that people understand that misinformation can happen, or it's working together to kind of understand the audience a little bit better, which can help us to tell stories that relate to them more. And I think something that's absolutely incredible is we talked about uh, George Floyd's death and the protests that followed it and the global response to that and that came solely from people seeing people around the world seeing people gathered all over the place in the united states holding signs making their voices heard and getting out there despite the pandemic to say this is wrong we are people and we deserve a certain amount of respect and it influenced other people from different places who have never even had to deal with maybe have never been to the United States at all. But they thought to themselves, you know, if this was happening in our country, we would want it to change. So we're going to stand in solidarity with the United States. And it's in, it's an incredible thing that citizen journalism can do. It's just a matter of working together with news organizations and trained journalists to figure out how that ball can continue rolling. Yeah, absolutely. It is, it is just to put it, Frankly, it's pretty revolutionary the fact that we have access to so many firsthand accounts for pretty much any event. Like, if you go on Twitter and search keywords or locations for whatever it is you're looking for, you're probably going to find firsthand accounts of someone that was there. Um, and as, as amazing and as powerful as that is from a consumer side, I think it's important for us to be cautious. Like, how many times do you see something go viral talking about an event? or something that happened, and then like a few days later, you're like, oh, that was not accurate. So while citizen journalism is great for, you know, giving us kind of an inside look, a firsthand account, maybe it's quicker than what the news cycle can produce, we have to remember that journalists are professionals and their job is to give us context to those moments in history. So still be cautious, you know, remember that people who post things online if, if it's just, you know, your neighbor or someone you don't know, they don't have any kind of obligation to the truth. You don't know what their motives are. So always kind of take a step back before retweeting something or, you know, blindly believing in what you see online. Yeah. And I definitely think, um, like you guys know, I have in the past worked in more of a journalist kind of role, but now I work more in a PR kind of role. And this plays a part there as well, um, as far as, you know, interacting with communities and making sure that the way you present things is, you have to really think about it. You can't just take that firsthand account. Me and Emily took a class, international journalism together, like our sophomore or junior year, I don't even remember. But one part that we covered that was really important and that really stuck with me was trauma reporting. And just the fact that like when it comes to taking an account from somebody else, yes, you 3000% have to give them the space, the area to breathe, to be able to tell you their story. But you also have to keep in mind that this is somebody who's experienced a trauma. They can't have that clear headed, you know, it's not like, okay, so this happened at this time and da, da, da. like, they're not going it's to not have a that thought base. Right. There's something, there's a very emotional attachment to that event for them. 
and breaking past that to get to the clarifying factual basis or account is something that as a journalist you need to do more and that's something that citizen journalism can't bring to the table that we as journalists need to bring to the table and yeah i mean it's it's really important to be able to share our accounts and being able to post it online for everyone to see can definitely kind of bring a more personal level and we can mourn together or celebrate together which makes even the small things feel more significant so really the relationship between professional journalists and citizen journalists is so important and i'm excited to see how it continues to grow and you know what we learn and figure out going forward um like reagan said it's such a way for us to experience things together or in a way that feels together and we're able to use social media to bring awareness to causes and build a global community but sometimes we forget that beyond that giant movement there's real people being affected every single day that's a really good point emily and i think that there is that's something we definitely need to talk about because when it comes to having this ability to connect with people so closely and having the ability to have these firsthand accounts, we really do attach this very personal connection to it. But it's really important to remember that just because we think we understand a situation doesn't mean that we completely do. And to think that we know the best response or the best solution or how to calm this problem for people, like that's not the way we should be approaching this. It is always about letting the person who is oppressed or the person who is dealing with that tell you how you can aid them, not telling them how you will aid them because that's probably a lot more harmful i think that that issue right there lana is something that we're all kind of coming to terms with on social media like social media is so powerful because it it helps spread a movement you know it helps it helps issues gain momentum and we can call for justice in a much easier fashion than we were able to before but while we're doing that, we need to remember to shut up and listen to the people who are actually being affected and actually living that reality every single day. And I think this past year, the momentum that Black Lives Matter in particular has really picked up has shown this. You know, like it's great that so many, you know, white and non black people of color are behind the cause, but it's important to sit back and listen to black voices instead of being the deciding factor, you know, telling, telling those communities what's going to work or what should happen for them. And I, I mean, I think that there's a lot of examples of this um, where social media kind of takes over and can really kind of snuff out the people who are experiencing it. And we all just need to be a little bit aware of that happening. Another example of saviorism that we see a lot are people who are going to developing countries and exuding this personality that like they're saving people from, you know, poverty or from different things that are a very real issue or hunger or things that, you know, are, are way out of any one person's control. Like you can't save somebody by yourself, it takes a very global movement and takes a very internal movement to be able to change those things systematically, especially in developing countries. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, something else that I've really kind of just, just been in awe of this year in particular is the amount of like performative activism online. And I think that it definitely 
correlates to this like white saviorism that we see and the amount of performative activism, but not really understanding what the issues are and what it takes to, you know, raise awareness in a productive way and actually make meaningful change. That is something I, I don't like that spreading awareness on social media can give people clout. That's something that is not productive to any movement, really. For sure. And I absolutely agree with you about the performative activism. You know, you see people on social media, you see all of these things, and whether you know them or not, you're kind of like, are you actually doing something to help and support this, or are you just there to take pictures and say that you were there? You know what I mean? Like, it's a very, it's, and people, you know, I think we see this a lot in celebrity or like in the influencer lifestyle is like, I'm going to go out and I'm going to be a part of this. And I know that a lot of them are doing it very purely because they want to be a part of the cause and they want to be a part of change. But there have to be some that are going out there and saying, you know what, I can get notoriety for being here. I can have my face seen. I can take a million pictures and then I'm just going to go home. Yeah, I definitely think that that is extremely harmful. And a lot of people don't understand, you know, how that can be. Not only, it's it's like, oh, like on a short level, it's like, oh, that's really fake. That's really two-faced of you. But on a greater level, it's like, that's really against the social change and the progression that we need in our country. And you are just, you're standing in the way of it. And rather than being truthful and being like, I'm ignorant, I don't know. I don't know things. You, because that's really what I think it is. I don't think it's a matter of hatefulness. I don't think it's a matter of, you know, people not caring. I think it's a matter of ignorance. People just think, okay, I can obtain this with this, so I'm going to do this, whatever. You need well, to do I better. Think you're you absolutely to- right. right. I think you're absolutely right about the ignorance. I think it's a lot of just, I don't know, and I'm seeing a lot of other people doing this, so I feel like I should also be doing this, but it's like, if you don't have a stake in that game, if you don't have the knowledge to understand what you're actually standing out there for, take the time. Go on the internet, look at news stories, look at blogs, look at people who are doing it because they very seriously believe in it and Mm -hmm. understand what you're standing for. Exactly. Definitely. And like I was saying, I definitely think that this itself has harmful reaches, but I think that there are also instances of saviorism that can become way more harmful. And Mm -hmm. there is just a lot that we as journalists have a role to play in this. And so I recently was reading an article that talked about white saviorism and its impacts on the global reach of medical professionals. And so obviously, you know, we in the U.S., I don't think anybody is, or maybe you're not aware of this, I think we in the U.S. have a very big tendency to view ourselves as the power, as the world power, as the world understander, as the world leader. And so we place our values at the height of the solution. And so when we're looking at what other countries have going on, we're like, well, we could just do this and this because America's so great and we would fix everything and da 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 da. And there are many people who actually hold on to those beliefs. Like I know for many times for myself, and it's very sad to you know believe, but when I was younger, I went on a lot of service trips and I genuinely had this belief about these countries. Like, oh, well, if they just did this like America or if they just had these values. And it took a lot of educating myself and choosing not to be ignorant to realize like, hey, no, like they do things their way because that's what is good for them. That's what they need to do for them. That is their culture. That is their beliefs. That is their values. That is their economy. That is their way of life. It's not just about erasing an identity to create what we think we need to create. And so in this article, they talk about 
how they completely just kind of obstructed any medical teachings that people within those areas were like, we do this or we do that, or we use these bandages made of this for this reason or that. And they're like, no, we know what we're doing. And we come from the best country and we come from the best universities in the world that teach the best medicine. We know what we're doing and actually ended up causing a lot of harm because they wouldn't just collaborate and work with those who were trying to inform them and try to educate them and try to teach them a new way. And not only would it have helped them, you know, with those patients in that country, but it would have helped them come back to the U.S. and say, hey, maybe we can do this a different way. Maybe we don't need to spend millions of dollars on this because I found out this really innovative way to do it in a country that has much less and they're doing the same thing. But because we have the superiority complex, we don't allow ourselves to get that access to information that is so readily available. And it creates harm to the way of allowing ourselves to be ignorant all the way to killing citizens because we won't listen to their doctors about what is best for them. We have to do better. All right. So my question for you guys this week is from Pew Research. It's actually on America's international image, but this is actually a study from 2018. So it's a little bit uh, backdated, but it was the most recent survey that Pew Research has done on America's international image. So, what percent do you think that other countries think that the U.S. takes their interests into account? Oh, God. <laughs> what are our options? Uh, like zero? <laughs> your options are 28%, 50%, 70%, or 100%. I'm going to go the 20 route. Okay, so the question is, what percentage of countries? No, how no. how much how, do people think the United States take their ideas in the consideration? account the interests of other countries? Okay, mm-hmm. it's the twenty-five. It's the twenty-eight. It's 20. Okay, it's the twenty-eight. <laughs> That's the one. I feel like yeah, but there also might be some. I feel like there's a lot of you know pro-U.S. out there. Um, you can be pro-U.S. without thinking that your interests are take, That's true, yeah. No account. That's why I think it's the 28, because I'm like, you can really respect and like somewhere, but that doesn't mean yeah. it's like a man. You can think <laughs> that, <laughs> you can think that you're in, that they like you okay, but do they <laughs> care about you? I, you know, like, you're like, he loves me, but he does not respect me. (laughs) 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 It's the toxic relationship. Um, all right. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go with the 28% too. God damn it. You were both right, but I think you still fucking drink. (laughs) (laughs) If it makes you feel better, I did finish my mimosa, so. (laughs) I need more of my coffee. When it comes to that, 28% of the median, you know, kind of countries that Pew had asked, 28% believe that a U.S. takes into account a great deal or a fair amount of other countries' interests. 70% believe that the U.S. does not take into account other countries' interests at all. And then 3% Remember, are Remember, do better. Um, not sure what you and have. stay informed. Cheers. Cheers.